Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here as we kick off our second week in this series, Emmanuel, as we're getting closer and closer to Christmas. And uh, Emmanuel, if you're not familiar with that name, it's a prophetic name God gave through his prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years before Jesus was born. He says that this Messiah will come, this rescuer, the one who will finally put the world right And when he comes, he will come as God coming to be with his people. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. So every one of these extraordinary stories, these historical accounts, I hope you see them is that way, they are set in history, they are anchored in historical fact that each one of these accounts that we look at through this series exemplify another way in which God, and in a profound way, is with us. That he is right here with us. He's working with us. He's wanting to bless us. He's wanting to draw us close to him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to walk with him. Now this week, as we get started into this second account that we're going to be looking at today, I want to ask you to think about a time in your life where maybe you had some really good news you were about to share with somebody. It's so good, it wasn't a question in your mind whether this was going to rock their world in a good way. You knew it was going to bless them. Their life was going to be better because of it. Maybe you work in the medical field and you're about to tell somebody you're cured. This ailment that you've been struggling with for months, maybe years, you're over it. You're good. Maybe you're getting to tell uh, an employee, hey, you're about to get a raise. (laughs) You're about to get a bonus. Some of us can remember back when we used to do that, right? uh, (laughs) Or maybe you're a teacher and you're telling a parent, you're telling a student, you passed. Yay, you get to go to the next grade. That's incredible. I I remember having a few of those years myself. Yes, um, you get to share this news and you can't wait to tell them. You remember what that felt like to have really great news you're about to share with somebody and you know it's going to be a blessing, you know it's going to rock their world? I want you to remember that and hang on to that because that pertains to our story today. Because this is an incredible moment in time on a cool night in Bethlehem where God comes and he orchestrates the most significant event that has ever happened in a good way to those people that were directly influenced by the story, but not just them. It has become the most significant event in human history. Now, that may sound like hyperbole. That sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. And as we unpack the story, I hope you will see more and more the profound life-changing, world-changing, history-changing moment that it was when God came to earth. Now, today, what I'd like to do is start by explaining kind of a little backstory. You see, what was unfolding that night was an unconditional promise that God had given to the nation of Israel. And more specific than the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah, and even more specific than that, 
inside the family of the beloved king David. It was from his line and from his lineage that the Messiah, the rescuer, the savior of the world, the one who would put all things right would come. And God was getting ready to share this news with the world. And how did he go about sharing that news? This might be the most shocking, new, the most shocking part of the story of all. Let's take a look together. We're going to look in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, as we begin to unfold this part of the incredible story of Jesus' birth. Now, I want you to notice here, again, Luke is a medical doctor. He's a physician, and he has incredible attention to detail. He even tells us in chapter 1 that this account that he is writing has been a corroboration of different eyewitness testimony that he sat down and carefully has given an account, an accurate account of the things that transpired from the life of Jesus. So he wants us to know this is not myth, fable, this is not legend, this is history that he's recording. As as fantastic and unbelievable and incredible and miraculous as it sounds, this is what he wrote and this is how he wrote it, okay? So starting with verse one, let's take a look at this together. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, let me just give you a quick backstory on this Caesar Augustus. He was also known when he was growing up as Octavian. And Octavian was the great nephew to Julius Caesar. And, and many of you may remember, Julius Caesar was, you know, uh, he was assassinated. And you may remember from the play, et tu brute, ah! you know, like he's that guy, okay? Died. In his will, he had left his throne, his, um, you know, his Caesarship to his nephew. And so Augustine, uh, I mean, yeah, um, Octavian becomes the next uh, Caesar, and the Roman Senate confer on him godlike qualities, and with that, they change his name to Augustus. And he was glad to have it. And he was the first, or one of the first, Roman monarchs to be worshipped as a god. All right? And people, ironically, were glad to do it. They wanted to worship him as a god. Now, he was a pretty significant figure in Roman history. His reign, his rule, became the beginning of what came to know, be known as Pax Romana, which was a 200-year period of Roman peace. Many historians consider this the golden years of the Roman Empire, and it was started by Augustus here. Now, Augustus was seen all over the world as not only the most powerful man in the world, but as a god, and he was worshipped as such, okay? So it was this Caesar Augustus that calls this, um, that, that calls this census and has everybody go to their hometown, and really the, the motivation behind this was so that he could collect more taxes. Now, just in case you're wondering, what did that Caesar Augustus look like? Let's take a look. I have a little picture of him here. This would, back in the first century, would be considered a selfie, okay? <laughs> it takes a little longer to make, but, and it kind of makes me wonder, like, how did he get that? Like, hey, Augustus, where would you want that new sofa? Right over there, you know, like, Hold it, ding, 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 ding. You know, they carved it out. So anyway, and uh, it's interesting. I realized that this little baby over here on his leg, really kind of weird, but <clears throat> this is evidently, I found out later, this is Cupid. This is kind of to verify his godship, 
But to me, I can't help but think of little mini-me right down there. You know, like, <laughs> he's like, yes, master, whatever you say. Anyway, so that's kind of weird, but that little baby is right there on his knee. And so that's how it happened, and that's how he came to power. But here he was, the most powerful, wealthy, influential man on planet Earth. And in that moment of him being so powerful, God does something that no one expected. He, in a little town that really was, had no notoriety, Bethlehem, to poverty-stricken parents, in a little smelly grotto, God brings the Son of God onto planet Earth. And Christmas, the Christmas story, is a powerful reminder that that is what is important, that what is important in heaven is not always what is important here on earth. And I just want you to see that. That's going to be a reoccurring theme throughout this message, throughout this morning, that God is powerfully reminding us that what's important in heaven is not always important here on earth. And maybe you've heard it said this way, what is important isn't always urgent, and what is urgent is not always important. I would say almost never, right? And that's one of those things that we have to continue to remind ourselves. And God tries to help us with this Christmas story to say that sometimes the most unexpected ways God is trying to work in our life, and we overlook those things sometimes. At a time when the most powerful and the wealthiest in the world were oversleeping and couldn't be disturbed, God goes and gets the attention of some of the most unlikely people the most shocking people to many in their day, as we're going to see in just a minute, to get their attention to announce what was about to take place. So let's take a look, and starting in verse 8, I believe it is, um, <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, let's say it together, and they were terrified. Right? You may remember this last week. Wasn't that exactly what happened to Zechariah? Yes. And we go all the way back to the Old Testament when Gabriel, the angel that came to Zechariah, came to Daniel. Exact same response. And what's beautiful in all of these cases, this, the angel motivated and inspired by God himself says the same thing. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid because what's going to happen next is going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. I bring you good news that will cause great, let's say it together, great joy for all the people, for every nationality, every race, for every economic level, every education level, all people, everybody, everywhere. What I'm about to tell you is for everybody. In verse 11, he goes on to say, to say the, the, the angel says, today in the town of David, this is a reference to Bethlehem, a savior, a rescuer has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer. This conjures up beautiful images, especially in the Jewish mind of the deliverers of the Old Testament how God used Moses and Joshua 
to bring his people out of slavery and into the promised land. And that these were symbols to represent what Jesus was about to do in a spiritual sense to come and to set his people free. The Lord, a name that is reserved for God himself, Savior, Messiah, Lord. Now, juxtapose those names of God, God himself, for what he's going to say next. This will be a sign to you. This is going to be the indicator that God has showed up on planet Earth. Get this. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. To which the angels, I mean, to which the shepherds would probably say, angels say, what? Like, I don't understand. What Are you telling me God, the God of the universe, almighty God coming to Earth and the indication, the sign to us is a baby wrapped in common cloths and lying in a feeding trough. This just doesn't make any sense. Like, that is not what we would have expected. That is not how a human would orchestrate one of the greatest events in human history. But God is in us. And God is showing us, and this is such a beautiful symbol, ladies and gentlemen, of how God is showing, I am coming so that you may know me. I'm coming, my son Jesus is being birthed on earth so that you can see that I am accessible to you. You can know me, and I want to know you, and I want you to walk with me, and I want you to be able to learn how to be loved by me, and I love you. And this is why Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, this is a prayer right before the cross. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they may know you experientially, interactively, personally, intimately, know you. That's it. That is the good news. That is the amazing thing. And Jesus coming as a baby, the most, like, unobtrusive, most, um, like, non fearful, scary, a very approachable package you could probably imagine, right? And this is how Jesus comes. And then what happens next blows their mind. Verse 13, here's what the angels did. Suddenly, the angels, the angel singular, was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those with whom God is pleased. Think about it for just a minute. It's one angel, glory of God showing all around. They're freaking out, scared to death, and then all of a sudden, it's like the sky cracks open all the way to the horizons, and now all of a sudden, God peels back the layer of the mortal reality so that we can see into the spiritual realms what is happening all the time for just a moment, just a glimpse into heaven for just a minute. Millions upon millions upon millions of the armies of heaven filling the sky from horizon to horizon, and they are worshiping God, their God. And they are not worshiping him for what he has done for them. He is the, they are worshiping him for what he has done for us. And you see, they are worshiping him in our place. They're teaching us this is the proper response to what God has done for you. 
This is how we ought to respond. This is so important that we take away from this that we, you and I, ought to take time to worship God like that, redirect and set our affections, our desires upon him. And that's what these angels were doing. And I want you to notice later, these shepherds follow suit. They know exactly this is something we need to do also. Now, let me talk about the shepherds for just a minute and ask the question, why announce to shepherds of all people? Now, it's important that question becomes even more powerful when we look at the context of who and what the shepherds were. Back in that first century, shepherds were unsavory characters. They were outcasts. They were rough around the edges they were considered criminals. They were considered thieves. It was part of the reason why you see the shepherds were out living on the countryside, out in the fields with their sheep and keeping an eye on them, watching over them throughout the night. Why? Because the other shepherds would come and steal their sheep, right? They weren't exactly the most trustworthy lot of people. And in addition to that, they were also known to be liars, that their word wasn't necessarily trustworthy, that their testimony was not valid in a Roman courtroom. And in addition to that, they were not welcome. They were considered ceremonially unclean and were not welcome in the temple, in the Jewish synagogue. Can you imagine? You're not welcome at church. Like, you're, you're, you're too bad of a guy. You're too, too rough around the... You're not even welcome to come and worship God at all. They were sort of kicked out of God. Now, here's the irony about that, being kicked out of the temple. They were raising the very lambs that were being used in the temple as sacrifices unto God to take away the sins of Israel. But they personally, because of their sins, were not a welcome, welcome into the temple itself. And what's remarkable, that there were these hallmark moments throughout the ministry of Jesus, like this one, when the first time that the Apostle John proclaims publicly about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who better than those shepherds to know what they were talking about that would really understand Yes, he is the lamb of God who will ultimately take away all the sins for once and for all, and that we don't have to keep killing lambs over and over and over. The sacrificial system has come to an end, that Jesus has come to fulfill and complete all of that. And these were the men of all the people that God could have picked. He didn't pick Caesar Augustus. He didn't pick the powerful and the wealthy and the influential and the people we might pick and say, oh, we need popular and we need powerful and we need influencers and we need all those people vouching for us. God says, no, I can use anybody and I choose the shepherds. I choose them to be the ones that get introduced and get invited to the invitation or the, the introduction of me coming to earth. Incredible. So what do the, um, what do the, the uh, shepherds do next? Let's take a look together in uh, verse 15. It says, And when the angels had left them, they had gone to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was living, lying in the manger. <clears throat> Everything they'd been told, they found. Now, this is one of those things that sort of occurred to me this week that I don't think I'd ever realized before. Knowing what I know, what we know about the shepherds, right? 
They, they were out there guarding and protecting their livelihood, the sheep. Whenever the angels challenged them to go into Bethlehem and look for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, right? They didn't leave the sheep out there. They would have been stolen. They brought the sheep with them right into the middle of town. Now, imagine this for just a minute. It's the middle of the night, and you got like 200 sheep. And they're all like hundreds. By, by that, you multiply what I just did by hundreds and hundreds, right? And they're going down. It's not like you're going to sneak up on somebody with the sheep like that, right? And they're going door to door. Hey, you have a young couple giving birth here? Okay, and then they go to the next house, and they go to the next house. It's not a real big town, but I bet they went to several houses. They went like they went the first house. They found Mary and Joseph. Like, they, they went a lot of places, and it was making a ruckus, and people looking out the windows like, what are those shepherds doing? It's the middle of the night. It's hard to sleep, and the kids are being woken up, and it's like making a mess, and, you know, and the, the, the sheep probably dropping stuff as they go, and it's just, and it doesn't smell great, and, you know, like, it was a ruckus. It was kind of crazy. It was very difficult disruptive both to the shepherd's life and to everyone else's for them to obey God. That's my point. And they were willing to do that, to step out and to find this miracle and God had invited them to be a part of. In verse 17, we're told this, and when they had seen him, when they had seen him, they, let's say these three words together, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They spread the word. Just seeing Jesus, just meeting him wasn't enough. We have to tell people about this because the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has come to earth. And he came and told us and he's letting us tell other people, us who weren't even welcome in a court of law. We can't even testify upon the truth in the courtroom, but God is giving us the high privilege of speaking a testimony of his truth, of his birth, coming to earth to everyone else. You see, God chose these shepherds, the outcasts, the marginalized, to be the first missionaries of the world. What is a missionary than someone who moves from here to there so that more people can hear about Jesus? And that's exactly what these guys did. They shared and they proved over and over to everyone who heard them that God had given the highest honor to the lowest members of society. And he does this over and over and over again. He shows that you must humble yourself if you're going to come to me. That's how it works. You must humble yourself. If you're not willing to hear it from a shepherd, you don't get to come. And this upside-down kingdom of Jesus still boggles people's mind. It is a paradigm shift, ladies and gentlemen. It is radically different than even what some Christians think that it is. The Jesus kingdom, over and over, he taught these kind of things, and they get glazed over sometimes, that the first will be last. To lead is to serve. You must learn service if you want to lead. Love requires sacrifice, not lust and desire. Love and desire and lust get very mixed up in our culture today. Jesus was clear, love is sacrifice. He could not save the world if he wasn't willing to sacrifice, and he saved the world because he loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son.
right? Beautiful. To gain your life, you must be willing to lose it for his sake. When you're finally willing to surrender, God, I give you my whole life. He's like, great. You now finally will find true, abundant, abundant life. That's how you do it. Jesus says, you come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many people would say, my soul is weary, I'm tired, I need it? Jesus says, come. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. But I come that you might know me and walk with me Obey me, just like these shepherds. It's powerful, but it is an upside-down kingdom. And these shepherds, God teaches us that in this moment that it's through the shepherds that he shows us that unless you're willing to humble yourself and admit your need for both forgiveness and a Savior, you don't get to come. But these shepherds were the ones who say, yippee, we get to share this good news with the world that we know is going to rock their world in a good way. It is incredible. It's going to bless their life. And they were filled with this joy. Have we lost that joy? Have we lost that awe-inspired just elation and excitement over getting to share the message of Jesus. If you're a believer today, have you lost that? To be able to share that with other people? That's what Christmas is all about. We should be looking for ways to do that with people all over the place. God wants to use us just like he did those shepherds. And I love the response of the people who heard the message. In verse 18 and 20, let's take a look at this together. It says, and all who heard it were, let's say together, were they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, both what the, the shepherds said, and I think they were also amazed the fact that it was shepherds saying it. <laughs> like, really? God used shepherds? God invited shepherds to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah? And by the way, they were, the one, they were the only ones there besides Mary and Joseph. Joseph, Mary the mother and Joseph the foster daddy, right? And you can think about that for just a minute. With God being the daddy, he was the foster daddy. But he was, they were the only ones outside of them. Well, you may say, well, where were the magi? Where are the, uh, you know, the wise men? Well, we're told in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, that the, the wise men actually came later to the house, to Mary Joseph's home, which some historians say that could be as much as two years later after they had gone to Egypt and back, if you remember that part of the story. That was much later. I don't mean to mess up your nativity scene, but maybe you could take your <laughs> wise men and put them over to the side like, they're on their way, right? They're coming. They're not here yet. The shepherds were there. But anyway, the shepherds go around town. They're sharing with everybody. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born to you people who get to go to church. We don't even get to go to church. But God chose us to share it with you. How incredible. The shepherds returned glorifying. Now remember what they saw the, the, uh, that the angels do. They're mimicking. They're doing what they were taught by the angels. They returned glorifying praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. These men, and I hope you'll feel the same way, they went back to their old job as new men. They went back to their old duties and responsibilities and the mundane of, of Monday morning rolled back around, right? 
but they approached it totally new, fresh, brought a passion to what they were doing that they didn't have before. There was a, a willingness to put God first and to seek him above all else. Now, what did those shepherds do that pleased God so much? Because I believe there's a secret therein for all of us today that God wants you to do and me to do to mimic what he taught these shepherds to do. The first thing that the shepherds did is that they believed. And here's how we know that they actually believed, because they behaved differently. When you truly believe, it changes the way you live. It changes your behavior. They had to get up off of the you know, field, off of the countryside, wherever they were, pick, get the sheep together, round them all up, and take them <laughs> into town. They had to change the trajectory, change their plans, change the direction of their life. And so will you and I to follow him, to truly believe. Next, they worshiped him. They learned how, this is a discipline, to learn how to fix your affection upon God, your desires, your yearnings, your passions. God, I want you more than anything else in this world because everything else is gonna pass away except for you and the souls of people you tell us in your word. It's the only things that are gonna last forever, he tells us. Help me to fix my attention on your just elaborate, immaculate, profound love, compassion, kindness, gentleness, and mercy upon me. Help me to have that kind of heart that a, that a shepherd has. I have no business being in your family. If you think you got all the business in the world being up in God's family, I would, help, I would challenge you to take a heart check and back up and say, God, help me to look at myself with eyes of humility, and your worship will get way more meaningful. And finally, they shared with other people. There was a sharing of that good news. It, it, it was, they were compelled. They, they, they couldn't do anything else. They had to share the good news. It's like you having good news that you get to share with somebody. Could you imagine withholding that news and not telling? Oh, my goodness. I think we would argue that's evil to have good news that could change someone's life and you don't tell them. It is the sin of omission, not commission. And I think this Christmas, maybe it's time for us to come before the Lord. If you've been a Christian for a lot of years, maybe you're a brand new Christian, but you're a follower of Jesus nonetheless, and you say, Lord, show me where I need to deeply believe that I haven't been believing. Like, I, I say it with my words, but it hasn't been really changing my life. I need to take time to worship you personally, interactively. Get your word out. Spend time with you. Show me who you want me to share the good news with. Who, who, who can you begin to start praying for that God has put in your life, that he wants you to be an impact, an influencer, to change them? And you may say, well, I, I, don't, I don't speak well, and I, I kind of get tongue-tied. God used shepherds. Enough said, okay? He says, no excuses. I went and got the bottom rung on the sociological ladder. I got the bottom people to show you this news is for everybody. Everybody. Stop making excuses. What does God want to do through your life? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. 
for directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.